today on Ag News Daily. Certainly very appreciative of the help from many folks out there that could help us understand what was the impact to their industry around coronavirus as we set up programs there. Uh, and then it was a great experience working for uh, Secretary Purdue. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Asha Carr. Ash, and I had to think about what day it was there for a second. I know, I feel like today, or not today, but this week, it's all kind of scrambling together. I have zero motivation this week. And Delaney, don't know if you're into astrology, but or, or if you're into TikTok. But my TikTok is full of people just talking about astrology. And apparently we're in a phase, a moon phase that you're supposed to be, you know, resting right now and you it's typical that you don't really have a whole lot of motivation. So I keep kind of blaming my procrastination and low energy on the moon. <laughs> well, that kind of makes sense. I'm not sure I'm into all the astrology stuff, <laughs> horoscopes, all that. But usually, you know, for this time of year, temperatures aren't quite as warm as they are right now. So I think people are still kind of struggling getting through winter and being done on that front. So I can kind of understand. Yeah, I tell my roommate about all the stuff I see on TikTok because I'm not sure if I believe it either. Oh my God, sorry. My roommate's cat apparently is under my feet and she keeps biting me. Sorry, I'll cut that You can leave that in, that's fine. (laughs) She, I just have my feet under my desk and I guess she got mad and just started attacking them. But either way, I tell my roommate about the astrology stuff that I see all the time. And I just think it's funny. And because I'm not sure if I totally believe in it or anything either. So I don't know why it keeps coming on my feed. But I just, I keep kind of blaming everything on the moon. So it makes me feel a little bit better about my laziness. Well, whatever you got to tell yourself, Ashton. I know, I know. I just keep having to come up with some kind of explanation because it just, it can't just be just because I'm lazy. No, probably not. There's probably something else too. (laughs) Well, Delaney, what kind of news are you watching for today? I didn't find a whole lot, so I'm anxious to see what you have to say today. Uh, Well, I'm also not finding a whole lot of news today. But we've got good interviews this week, so that's a plus, Ashley. We've got a lot of good interviews this week, actually. I won't tease too many of them. We'll get to that later. But news-wise, yeah, it's pretty dry today. Um, I guess in D.C., we've got some news stories to watch there. Oh, this actually just pinged my watch. But Congress just, literally as we're recording the podcast here at 1.23 p.m. on the afternoon, Congress just passed the new $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill which means its next steps are to head to President Biden's desk to sign the piece of legislation, which will probably happen as early as later today, Ashton. So we'll see that being pushed through. We've talked about what that means for agriculture. It'd probably be good to have somebody else on that's much more intelligent than you and I, Ashton, to talk about that a little bit more and what its impacts for agriculture will be. But it, of course, includes another round of stimulus checks, more money going into PPP. So I'm assuming we'll probably see, you know, folks being able to apply maybe for a third round there. I don't, I'm not sure how that will work yet. But uh, it also includes some direct aid for USDA. And I, I'm not entirely sure how they'll divvy that money out. But Yes, $1.9 trillion package just passed. Um, And the other piece of Washington, D.C. related news that I had, Ashton, was President Joe Biden 
And his COVID-19 advisors have told AgriPulse News that they're optimistic rural residents will get vaccinated in sufficient numbers to stop the vaccine or stop the virus from circulating. Uh, these advisors say they don't or these advisors say they know people maybe a little hesitant about getting this shot and want to hear it from their doctors and other local people they trust. But officials say they're working with states and stakeholder groups to get feedback and provide information as needed. And they said that rural America is, of course, one of their priorities to make sure that vaccines get distributed out to the countrysides as well. So I know a lot of the vaccinations have also been mostly based on age so far. And I do know quite a few people in rural areas. My grandma's gotten it. Um, My boyfriend's grandmas have gotten it, gotten vaccinated. So I don't know that necessarily we're seeing rural areas have issues with getting vaccinations. I think it's just making sure that that continues to get pushed out to folks in rural areas and that they feel comfortable getting the vaccine. You know, Delaney, I'm just kind of curious as to how it's all really going down because my my grandparents, they weren't able to get their shot until April 1st. Although now that I say that, I think it has something to do not with their age, but they had coronavirus um, back in December. So I think you have there. I think you have to have been clean of coronavirus for three months or so. So I think that's the deal there. But I know a couple of my friends have gotten the vaccine. Um, one of them is a cancer survivor. So she has pre-existing conditions. And then some of my friends who are teachers are actually able to get the vaccine since they're dealing with young kids all the time. But just kind of curious to see if more rural communities are open to getting the vaccine because from a lot of the people that I've talked to in rural communities, they're not too keen on the idea, to be honest. Yeah, I understand my grandma getting it. That's one thing. I personally am not really excited to line up and get a shot. And maybe this is part of what the administration is trying to work on is just mm, curbing some of the ideas that we have in our minds about this vaccination. But look, I think I've said it before. I'll say it again. It just makes me really nervous to get a vaccination when it was pushed through in literally less than a year when the flu shot, which still is hit or miss in my opinion, took like seven years, I think, to develop and is still in an ongoing you know, process. They are continually tweaking it and stuff. So I just get a little nervous about that myself. Yeah, I think the vaccine or the, the flu vaccine is like 65% effective, something like that. And they're saying that some of these coronavirus vaccines are 95 plus percent effective. So I'm curious to see how that all kind of came together, but I'm no scientist, so I won't speak on it. But one thing that I do want to speak on is some more USDA news because they have issued waivers that will allow children to receive meals when schools are out of session this summer. Currently, 12 million children are living in households where they may not always have enough to eat. The USDA says that the summer meals will provide relief to children and families who have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic And although we're seeing these vaccines, don't really know when the end of the pandemic is in sight. But these waivers, which were previously extended through June, are now available until September 30th, which makes me wonder if they're going to be further extended into the school year. But that is months away. And Ag Secretary Vilsack says that the department will do everything it can to ensure that children get access to healthy and nutritious meals 
And he also said that the USDA is committed to providing local program operators with the resources and certainty they need. Now, these waivers extend the summer food service program and seamless summer option at no cost. And the meals can be served outside of the normal required group settings and meal times. And parents and guardians are allowed to pick up meals for their children. All right. Well, let's see. And some other news, Ashton. Taking our attention down to South America, I know, big surprise, but we got some new estimates out today from AgRural about where the country of Brazil sits as far as harvest goes. So far, we've seen now the country's soybean harvest is just 35% complete. So we saw a slight 10% increase in harvest compared to last week. But Compared to last year, that was about 49% done by this point in time. So we're still well below or well behind, I should say, the pace where Brazilian farmers usually are. And we will continue watching that. But AgRural also went ahead and raised their production forecast to 133 million metric tons. But now the firm says that it might have to reconsider that number because as we continue to see high precipitation, high humidity, high moisture in some of the major growing areas, quality problems are a concern. Well, Delaney, like I said, it was kind of dry in the news today, so I only have one more thing to talk about. And it is National Farm Worker Awareness Week. Now, this week isn't observed until March 25th through the 31st, so we've still got some time to prepare. But this week is designated uh, for action for communities to bring attention to the multiple challenges that farm workers face and honor their important and hashtag always essential contributions to the food supply chain. Now I say hashtag always essential because I think that is the movement that they're doing on social media to kind of raise awareness for this week. Equitable Food Initiative is celebrating National Farmer Awareness Week by encouraging growers, agricultural associations, and consumers to share messages honoring the farm workers that make it possible for Americans to have access to high quality, fresh and safer fruits and vegetables, particularly in light of the pandemic. And to help spread this key message, key message and graphics, EFI has provided a free communications toolkit. So folks, if you're looking to celebrate or honor National Farm Worker Awareness Week, definitely look into that on the Equitable Food Initiative website. All right, Equitable Food Nation website. Ashton, let's see, I don't have any other news today. So what do you say we chat markets? Let's do it. All right, well, we saw a pretty hard sell-off again today in the grain markets after yesterday's WASDE report was neutral to somewhat bearish, a little bearish undertones there. We saw that continue, that bearishness continue into today and saw grain sell off pretty hard. Starting things off here with the March corn contract down 14 and a quarter cents to close at 547 and three quarters. The D's down four and a half to close at 480 and a quarter. In the sweeping pits, March down 29 and three quarters cents today to close at 1411 and a half. The November down 23 and a quarter to close at 12.38 and three quarters. Chicago wheat lower today as well as the March contract shed five and three quarters cents to close at 6.50 and three quarters. The D's down four and three quarters cents to close at 6.49 and a quarter. Now taking a look at the livestock markets today, live cattle also lower today. I just was looking at uh, writing some commentary earlier today. Packer margins 
went down slightly this week, but more specifically, I was um, a little shocked. I feel for cattle farmers. We, my family raises cattle, but packer margins are still at some pretty high levels. Cattle producer margins, however, are just at $25 per head as of last week. And that is definitely reflected in today's prices. April live cattle down 87 and a half cents to close at 118.77 and a half. The June down 67 and a half cents to close at 118.97 and a half. But cash cattle still remains strong. I had not been paying close enough attention. Cash cattle has been trading at $114 per hundredweight for over a month now. So nothing is pushing that market around. In feeder cattle, the March contract down 95 cents today to close at 136.20. The April down 35 cents to close at 141.72 and a half. In lean hogs, April up 42 and a half cents today to close at 88.77 and a half. The May up 22 to close at $91 even. And wrapping out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. The March contract down 12 cents today to close at 16.28. The April down two cents trickles at 1787. Ashton, I know we've got a ton of great interviews planned this week. We've done so many already. Who are we playing for today? Today, we are talking to former Ag Secretary Bill Northey. Well, as I've been teasing on the podcast a little bit, it's finally good. We've got former Secretary of Iowa's Agriculture, Bill Northey, joining us today. Bill, you are in post-Washington life, so we're excited to have you on and find out what's in store for you next here. So thanks for joining today. You bet. Glad to be with you, Delaney. I look forward to the conversation. So you're, Bill, now back in Iowa, as I understand it, and maybe some of the limelight of Washington, D.C. has washed away from you, but tell us a little bit about your time in Washington, D.C., what did you take away from those couple of years? Well, it was a really great experience, and most of it didn't have a lot of limelight in it. We just uh, continued to work at USDA to get programs out and to make sure that uh, uh, we were doing things that help farmers. My So at USDA, you have uh, a secretary and a deputy secretary and then eight undersecretaries that are all responsible for what's called mission areas. So it's a combination of agencies. And those agencies in in my area were of NRCS, so the conservation programs, Natural Resources Conservation Service, farm service agencies, so farm programs, farm loans, um, obviously, you know, the stand-up as well of, of the CFAP program or market facilitation program. Um, and then risk management agency, which is a crop insurance program. And that was a new combination of those three. Uh, NRCS had been uh, in a different agency. They'd been or in a different missionary. They were with the Forest Service before and with FSA and RMA had been for an ag service. And so uh, Farm Bill had asked for a change in where for an ag service should go. And it made good sense. Uh, to be able to bring in NRCS, since uh, most of us as farmers work with our local service center where that's out there together, um, policies need to be coordinated. And so for me, uh, it was a great time of kind of bringing those agencies together across those three agencies. We had over 20,000 people. Uh, we had over 3,000, around 3,000 offices across the country. 
Uh, you're dealing with, uh, you know, budgets with a lot more zeros than I had when I was in the Department of Agriculture in Iowa, or certainly on a farm in Northwest Iowa. Um, so, so big impact. And then we had the, uh, the challenges and the opportunity to be able to stand up some ad hoc programs uh, to respond to emergency situations like market facilitation program in response to the trade issues um, and um, um, and the uh, CFAP program response to the coronavirus issue. So um, several different ad hoc programs besides the farm bill programs and the normal way of uh, doing business and in activities. Obviously, we had coronavirus too, so we had to figure out how to deliver those programs when our offices were not open to visitors and many of our employees were working from home. And so interesting as heck um, and uh, certainly very proud of the work that FSA staff and NRCS and RMA staff do. Um, certainly very appreciative of the help from many folks out there that could help us understand what was the impact to their industry around coronavirus as we set up programs there. Uh, and then it was a great experience working for uh, Secretary Purdue, who very businesslike. He, uh, he wasn't sympathetic to government time. He wanted this done and in real people time. Um, and so we stood up programs at a speed um, that certainly is faster generally than typical government time is because uh, the idea was people needed those, those dollars. That's why we were doing those programs. Let's make sure they, uh, um, they, they still remember what those dollars are about when, when they come due or when they finally hit their account. So, Bill, what has it been like kind of adjusting to quote unquote normal life? You're not in D.C. anymore. You're back in Iowa. How has that adjustment been for you? Well, it uh, has been good. First of all, it's good to be back in Iowa. Uh, it is different, uh, definitely, in uh, kind of the pace and, and the day to day activities um, there in D.C., um, you know, really from I would typically get in about about uh, seven or so in the morning and probably wouldn't leave until about that time in the evening um, and, and really mostly full of of meetings, often via Teams or Zoom or something else um, as we were, you know, working on different programs. And so your day, you didn't have to figure out how you were going to fill your day. Your day filled itself. Uh, here, I, I do more of the actual filling of my day. And part of what I'm doing now is reaching out to a lot of folks and understanding what I miss over the last three years of what's going on. What are those issues that they're potentially interested in help with? Um, and uh, and so um, what are those things that that I can do um, that would be constructive to be able to help them with. So, Bill, as it sits today, you're back in Iowa, like we've mentioned, you're reconnecting with folks you haven't talked to in a few years, but what's next for you long term? Are you going to get back into politics? Are you thinking you're going to take it easy and help out on the farm? What's next for you? Well, um, I'm still figuring it out. So, um, I think it's probably not real likely that it's back into politics. I've, I'm very supportive of folks uh, that are in those positions that I could be interested in, um, as well as uh, 
I enjoyed not running for office and all the challenges and raising money and other kinds of things. I really did enjoy the work. Um, I love being Secretary of Ag in Iowa, and I'm a huge fan of Mike Negg. We have a great Secretary of Ag in Iowa. Um, I'm a huge fan of Senator Grassley, fan of, of Governor Reynolds, and look forward to supporting all of them and their next election. So I don't see where that political space is an attraction or, or a logic for my timing right now. Um, but, well, you know, I, I, those are things you don't say never. You just I, I, I don't see that being the case. I'd love to be able to get back on the farm. We'll see whether that happens or not. Uh, still trying to figure out what's taking the other kinds of day-to-day -day activities, whether it's in consulting or a full-time job or what that is and how that would fit in farming. It fit in wonderfully when I was Secretary of Ag. Now, I, I went home and farmed on weekends, and uh, uh, it's not an ideal way to do it, but it's it certainly worked. And now my brother-in-law and sister are farming that farm and uh, and and doing a great job. Um, and uh, I'm sure I couldn't do any better, but but I still wouldn't mind getting on a tractor. So, Bill, you've worked with Secretary Vilsack, um, you know, for, for quite some time. And um, so, you, so you kind of know, I guess, how he operates, so to speak. So with that being said, what are some changes that you kind of anticipate him bringing to the table under this new administration? You know, uh, certainly I take him at his word and there's going to be a lot of focus on climate change and um, and and. Just the equity conversation, uh, obviously that's true in Congress too. Um, and uh, so there'll be a lot of attention there. I, I think they can look a little bit less at, you know, some of the, the, the challenges in production agriculture around prices and others, because we've seen some prices come back. Um, and so that's all good. Um, uh, but, but I do think that they will focus on climate, um, and, and then trying to put some form to that. That's, that's a challenging issue, uh, to put form to, to carbon payments or what role USDA should have and what's, what's already for many folks kind of a con confusing carbon market out there. Are they the ones that pull together a standard? Are they the ones that uh, um, are, that that just help people do the kinds of things that make them more carbon friendly, like pay, you know, like like increase the amount of cost share for no-till and cover crops and, and good carbon practices, maybe also good water quality and also good soil erosion control practices, but is it just a step up in conservation? Um, technical assistance and and uh, financial assistance, or is it actually creating a market and defining, as they've talked about, a carbon bank out of CCC, maybe defining what carbon really is looking like? And and I've heard folks that suggest either one or both of those, and that's it's going to take some real effort. And um, but it sure sounds like the secretary wants to figure out one way or the other there to be able to go forward and and make a real difference in that area. Well, Bill, it's certainly good to have you back in Iowa. I'm sure we'll be seeing you pop up around. Well, maybe not right 
now is uh, stuff still somewhat shut down, but I anticipate I'll see you around at events here once things get back into full swing. We're excited to see what's next for you. Keep us in the loop there, but Bill, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks for reaching out. Well, again, a big thank you to Bill for coming on the podcast today. It was great to catch up with him today, Ashton. Certainly missed having him in Iowa, and we're definitely excited to have him back again. You know, I have to say, it did feel weird calling him Bill. (laughs) So I'm going to have to get used to that. But folks, if you want to listen to any of our past episodes where we talk to Bill, you can do so on the Ag News Daily website. And be sure to follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all future episodes. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.